Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream. Oh, from Calvary's mountain, in the cross. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to start uh, there in chapter 9 and uh, we'll move to the end of the book of Acts very quickly and then we're going to kind of take a journey here for just a few moments talking about or answering this question, will you live for Jesus in 2024? Will you live for Jesus in 2024? Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. One. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue, that if he be found, uh, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now we know that the Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road, and as a result of that, he would ultimately be instructed to go out into the world and make a difference, right? We know that his goal or that the, the, the God-given responsibility that he was given was to literally reach the world, the Gentiles, especially with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would immediately begin this, this, um, occup- this uh, vocation of his life now. He's going to be moving from one to another, if you will, and he's going to make a major change in his life. And obviously, from the Word of God, as we read through it, we know that the Apostle Paul began a journey that day. The Apostle Paul made a decision to come to Christ, and he made a decision to follow the Lord and to be obedient in every aspect of his life. We turn over, if you would, to Acts chapter 26, and we see him stating this himself. As he stands before Agrippa, notice what he says, beginning in verse 16, 26, 16. He's going to relate the story. He's going to relate what happened there on that road. And then all of a sudden, he's going to make some statements. Notice, as he concludes, he says, The Lord spoke to him and said in verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet. Chapter 26, verse 16. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Here it is, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Again, he's reminding the king of exactly what transpired and took place on that road. He's making it clear that he was given a mission, a job to perform, to complete. And as a result, he goes on now and he makes this statement. And he's basically saying, here's the fact. Here's the truth, king. I did exactly what I was told to do. Notice, he says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Man, from the very moment that I knew what was right, the very moment I knew what I was called to do, I did it. Well, we live in uh, 2024 now. We've gone from 23 to 24. And the truth is, is that, you know, Up to this point, I hope and pray that you have been obedient to the Lord. And I hope that you've been seeking to please Him with your life and your lips. But what about 2024? See, it's not enough to have lived 2023 or 2022 or 2021 for the Lord. we got to live 2024 for Him now. It's not going to be how you begin the journey. It's how you end the journey. And so we want to end strong. The Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his life, and he's saying, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. From the very moment I heard, I've continued and continued and continued in these things. I've been obedient to the Lord in every aspect of his commands. I wanted to please him with my life. And I just wonder today, will you live for Jesus in 2024? Now, I'm going to use an acronym today. You say, what's an acronym? I looked it up. It's an abbreviation consisting of the first letters of each word in the name of something. So let me give you a couple examples. For instance, AWOL. I was in the military, right? I still remember being in basic training, and all of a sudden our our sergeant woke us all up and gathered us all together, and he started asking questions about a particular soldier. We come to find out that that soldier had went over the wall. He had gone 
a wall. Apparently, he had a girlfriend that he was missing a lot. And so he took off, buddy. He left. What in the world does that AWOL mean? Well, it means absent without leave. And then I've learned another statement there. I, I use it all the time, it seemed, or at least people were always telling me to do this, uh, ASAP. Uh, go, go to the motor pool ASAP. Huh? What, as a sap? I mean, what are you talking about? Like, I, I didn't, you know, but I figured it out. As soon as possible. And then, of course, uh, then, then they would always talk about, well, you know, you have to do things according to SOP. Okay, SOP? What in the world is that supposed to mean? Well, what they t- no, no, standard operating procedure. And, of course, we've all heard the, uh, the, 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 the acronym FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, the CDC, Center for Disease and Control, LOL. I always thought it was laugh a lot, but it's laugh out loud. I honestly did. I was like, laugh a lot, okay. No, it's laugh out loud. That's what they say, at least. I don't, I don't use those, you know. Well, in 2024, I want to know, will you live for Jesus Christ? And so I came up with an acronym. Live. Live. Ah, I'm going to make it fit. We'll work it out here. Live. And so I want to have a word, a word of prayer, and then we'll start, and we'll look at the L and what it means, and then we'll go from there, okay? Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts and that you'd work in our lives. Lord, we desperately need you today. 2024, Lord, we are thankful that we have arrived here, and now we come together in your house to honor you and to bring glory to you. We thank you so much for your many blessings in our life. We ask that you would just work and move in our midst today. May you walk these aisles and speak to our hearts. And Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Ghost. Lord, I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it me. And I pray that you'd anoint their ears with spiritual salve, that they would hear exactly from the word what you'd want them to have. God, help me now just to be a blessing and an encouragement. And Lord, if there be any that are without the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may they settle that even today before it's eternally too late. Father, walk these aisles. Father, be large in my heart and help me, Lord. Guide my lips and help me today to be a a blessing. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So this live. Okay, we want to live for the the Lord or live for Jesus in 2024. First of all, the L. Will you love the Lord with all your heart? Will you love the Lord? You said, I knew that was coming. Eh, You're smart. Maybe you should be a preacher. Love the Lord with all your heart. Turn if you would to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. You say, ah, I know this. I know you know this. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I find this very difficult. You say, you shouldn't find it that hard. What do you mean? With all my heart? There are so many things in the world that are biting for our attention and trying to just draw us away from the Lord and cause us to get our sights off of Him. And boy, loving the Lord with all our heart can be a challenge at times. Notice it says in chapter 22, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said unto him, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Wow. Of all the commandments, he said, now this one's going to encapsulate all of it. It's going to create, this, this one is going to really, really focus on what's most valuable, most important. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he reminds us again that the writer of Mark says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. I'm going to tell you, I don't know about you, that's a tall order. There was a very unusual military funeral that took place in California on December in the month of December in, in 2013. Uh, first class, Joseph Gant, he fought in both World War II and in the Korean War. He was finally laid to rest. He had been captured in Korea in 1950, and he died the following year. But his body was never returned for a number of years, and his death was never confirmed by the North Koreans. His wife, Clara, waited for decades for her husband to come back. She regularly went to meetings with government officials seeking information about what had happened to him. Clara even bought a house and had it professionally landscaped so that all Joseph would have to do when he got home was go fishing. She was nearly 94 years of age when his remains were finally brought home from, for a military funeral with full honors. 94. It wasn't the homecoming, of course, that she had dreamed about or hoped for, but she did at least finally know his fate. Clara told a reporter who interviewed her, she said, he told me if anything happened to him, he wanted me to remarry. And of course, she wouldn't have been wrong to do so. We understand that. But instead, she said, I told him, no, no. Here I am, she said, still his wife, and I'm going to remain his wife until the day the Lord calls me home. Love is a choice, and it's demonstrated through action, isn't it? That kind of loyalty, that kind of love. Wow. It's not saying that somebody that would have remarried doesn't or didn't love their husband equally, but... She had made up her mind, this is how I'm going to demonstrate my love to him. I'm never going to remarry. I'm going to stay his wife till the Lord returns till or till he calls me home. In 2024, are you going to make a choice or will you make a choice to love the Lord with all your heart? And if you are, will you make that decision as well to prove it by the way you live your life for him? See, it's one thing to say, I love you. It's one thing to say, I'm, I'm committed. It's one thing to say, I'm loyal. But it's another thing to prove it, isn't it? We could go through the room and I could say, well, give me some examples of what being uh, loving to God or loving God with all your heart may look like in the year 2024. And I'm sure some, many would say right off of that, well, I guess you'd want to be in church, right? I mean... I guess you'd probably want to read your Bible and pray. I, I suppose you'd want to be uh, uh, good to uh, you know, those around you. You'd want to meet needs and lives. And there'd be all kinds of suggestions. There'd be all kinds of ideas. And probably they'd all be right. It's one thing, though, to say, I love the Lord with all my heart. But it's another thing to prove it with how we live. And I want to encourage you to not just make a commitment this year to love the Lord with all your heart. I want, to, I want you to understand that just like 
uh, poor Clara here, she made a commitment to a man that day at an altar, and she made up her mind, it was till death do us part, even if he died, I'm making sure I'm committed at this point. I want us to be committed to the day we die, or until the day the Lord Jesus returns and calls us home. And do it with our actions, not just our words. Will you live for Jesus in 2024 by loving the Lord with all your heart? All your heart? Number two, will you live for Jesus in 2024? Here's the I. By, and, 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 and do so by inviting others to Christ in the house of God. So love and invite. That's the first two. L-I. Invite others to Christ in the house of God. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> I don't really think that today, this morning, I'm sharing anything you probably don't know already. But I do believe it's very important that we're reminded from time to time God's viewpoint and maybe what he would expect of us and desires of us. All of us get busy in the world and distracted by activity at times. But notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Second Corinthians 5, 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Notice, he says here that we are ambassadors for Christ. Now listen, I know that the apostle is speaking to the church at Corinth, but I believe that that title was passed to each and every one of us that know the Lord. We are all required and all expected, I should say, to... to uh, exercise the ministry of reconciliation to somehow reach others with the gospel and reconcile them to God. And if we're going to literally live for Jesus in 2024, I think it's important that we invite others to him and to the house of God itself. Because as ambassadors, we represent Jesus Christ. As ambassadors, we represent a kingdom that is far away, yes, and that maybe we can't reach out and touch yet, but it's as real as this world we live in. We are to speak highly of our king and highly of our kingdom. We're to be witnesses and warn all of the great God and king, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. You know, the early church was given a command to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. In this case, they were to witness both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Instead, they found themselves remaining in Jerusalem and building the church there. Oh, no doubt that they were doing the work of God, but they weren't doing the work where God intended necessarily. They were maintaining their place there in Jerusalem. They were building their lives, their families, their ministry right there, although God had already told them and encouraged them, not just Jerusalem, but also Judea and into Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's where I want the gospel to go. You're my ambassadors because they were disobedient to go, God sent 
persecution. You say, that's rather harsh. Well, we'll see that it was in our best interest for sure. Because if they would have stayed in Jerusalem, there's a good chance we would have never known the gospel. God saw far beyond the present, and he saw into the future. And he did what was best for everyone throughout the ages, not just those that lived in that day. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, when persecution came, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad... Why? Because of the persecution. Okay, what are they going to do? Well, the Bible goes on to say they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They took the gospel with them. Now, they didn't have a Bible quite like we have. They had the Old Testament, and the New Testament was still being written. And can I tell you that they went with a witness. They went believing and knowing that they had had experienced Christ firsthand by receiving and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Man, they had a strong witness of the Holy Spirit in their heart and life, and it had transformed and changed their lives. The, the, The Christian life transformed them. Actually, it was Christ Himself that did the transformation and the power of the Holy Ghost within them. And they took that that change with them. They couldn't be anything but who they were. And when they arrived on distant shores, they took the gospel and said, I know a Jesus, and that Jesus can wash your sin away, and that Jesus can save you from your sin and ultimately give you a home in heaven. You can enjoy his presence as I do today. Man, I'm going to tell you something. They got serious about this issue of, of inviting others to Christ and inviting them even to the house of God as they built those and allowed those, to st- as those started coming into existence. Now, will you pass out a track? Will you give an invitation this year to somebody? Will you challenge someone to attend church? Will you invite somebody to come to Jesus Christ? Will you live for Jesus in 2024? Love the Lord with all your heart. Invite others to Christ in the house of God. Number three, visit those in need of Jesus. This one kind of goes a little bit with what we just talked about, but let me me just kind of maybe just even make it simpler. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 27. I'm just going to focus on one aspect of this idea of visit. Oh, I know we could visit uh, uh, people door to door. We can visit people uh, uh, that are in need of Christ by a, a call or a visit, like, you know, by having uh, some kind of uh, written three-by-five card or possibly something on our phone. But I'm just going to say, let's just make some visits this year. Let's just reach out to some people. Who do we need to reach out to? Uh, we can reach out to all people, but notice, I want you to see an interesting verse in the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says in James 1, 27, pure religion. Now, listen, let's be honest. All around us, right, we see people that are fake and phony, right? Now he's talking about pure religion. Hey, I got religion. And then we go, well, you know, I don't know about you, but doesn't it perturb you and bother you when at the beginning or at the end of a game, maybe a football game, basketball game, or baseball game, they interview one of the players or the coaches, and during the course of the conversation, they cuss. And then they, at the end, say, but I want to give God all the glory. Doesn't that bother you? That bothers me. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Could you just leave the cussing out or, don't, or leave Jesus out of it? 
You know, doesn't that bother? It bothers me. I don't know why. It goes through me. I guess I do know why, because he's in me. I don't think he's pleased with that kind of testimony either. But pure religion. I'm talking about not just with the lips. I'm talking about religion of the heart. Religion that affects our lips and affects our life. He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Oh boy, well, here we go now. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You say, what's he saying? Well, the litmus test for pure religion, mind you. Is your religion pure? Is your faith pure? Is it motivated by anything but to honor and please the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I know, preacher? Well, the litmus test for pure religion is evidenced by taking the time to reach out and help those who have no one else and cannot repay us in any way. You had nothing back from them. Except just the, the joy of a good deed, the joy of reaching out and encouraging and helping someone. That, that's it. That's all the payment. There, there's no financial re, uh, remuneration. There's no way that we're going to, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not what he's talking about. Listen, he's talking about visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. These are people that are struggling, that are having a difficult time. They've lost loved ones or family or they're all alone in the world and they need somebody You say, why do you bring that one up? Well, I believe it's important that we visit those in need of Jesus. Not just salvation, but we visit those that need someone that will never leave them nor forsake them. We reach out to the people who honestly others say, I want nothing to do with them. Those are exactly who Jesus wants nothing to do with. Will you live for Jesus in 2024? Will you love the Lord with all your heart? Will you invite others to Christ in the house of God? Will you visit those in need of Jesus Christ? And, and finally, you say, wow, we're done. Yeah, I know this one's three pages. <laughs> Not quite, but... <laughs> Will you encourage others in the Lord? Live for Jesus in 2000. Will you encourage others in the Lord? Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, would you please? Verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24. Well, how easy is it really, you know, when we look back at that last point, it's easy to, to be there for folks that, you know, somehow can be a blessing to us, right? I don't mind helping you if I know in the return you'll be able to help me, Right? But what about helping those who will never be able to reciprocate? I, I thought that was a, a tremendously important point because of James. That's pure religion, undefiled before God. That's what we ought to be striving for is living for him even if we get nothing in return. Notice what the Bible says now in this encouraging others in the Lord, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. For not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we're to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
See, when I reach out to you, when I get around you, my, my desire ought to be and my uh, heart should be to think of you, consider you, and your plight, your situation, your circumstance, where you may be. I don't have to know all the ins and outs. I don't have to be aware of every detail of your life, but I think, what if they've gone through a tragedy? What if they're dealing with some real hurt and heartache? What if they, you get where I'm going, considering, considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works? But then he goes on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, lifting up, I would say encouraging even, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the return of Christ. The fact that things are not going to get better as we get closer to his return. They may grow miserably darker. They may become more desperate. They may be more difficult. It certainly appears that way in Scripture, that it's not going to get more rosy, that it could become more complicated. And the fact is, is that we need to be exhorting one another. We need to be encouraging one another consistently and continually. So much the more as you see the day approaching, he says. And again, why is that so needed? Well, let me just be very practical this morning for just a few moments. But according to research conducted by the National Science Foundation, Around 80% of our thoughts are negative. I want, you, I want you to think about this. According to research by the National Science Foundation, around 80% of our thoughts are negative. And we have around 12,000 12, to 50,000 thoughts daily. Now, I know some of you have far less. <laughs> See what I mean? Admitting it, right in public. But, anyway. but we are, don't we? Some of us don't really think that much. But nonetheless, 12,000 to 50,000 thoughts daily. You'd probably agree with me that 80% doesn't sound like a very healthy ratio of negative thinking, does it? 80 to 20? I mean, that's not too good. 20 positive, 80 negative. Negative thoughts obviously eat, eat us up. They, they do. They, they eat us up. They, they're what drive depression. They're what steal our joy. They make you nervous and worried. We know that that's not what God would have for us. They often spark conflict in our lives, and they even lead to suicide in some cases. Obviously, there are times when negative thoughts are productive, though. We know that they are. I mean, obviously, sometimes they're productive in protecting us, right? Oh, don't, don't go out there. That could be dangerous. That's somewhat of a negative thought. Oh, somebody could be out there lurking. Uh, so we're careful. So maybe at times negative thoughts are positive like that and that they're, they're helpful to protect us. They, they, they may be productive. But you're never going to end up anywhere good unless you get to work, son. Uh, you know, and you're thinking, man, I got to get, get hitting it hard. I got to study these books. I'm going to flunk that test. That's negative to think about flunking a test, but that may be what motivates us to study and succeed. So that, at times, negative thoughts are not, are not bad. Sometimes they're very positive. They're helpful even. And they can cause us to be prosperous in the long run at times. However, most are just simply destructive, aren't they? They're very destructive. I mean, honestly. 
I mean, have you had any negative thoughts lately? I mean, we're human beings, right? I mean, think about that research. 80% of our thoughts are negative. That means that we let our negative thoughts take control of our mind then. And someone says, well, that's not true with all Christians. But i got to believe it's true with a number of Christians, though. And if it's not 80, is it 70? If it's not 70, is it 60? Is, if it's not 60, is it 50? I mean, I'm just saying, these negative thoughts, how difficult that makes life at times, how complicated it can make things. And sadly, those very thoughts are repetitious, too. That's what they say as well. They repeat themselves anywhere from 90 to 95% of the time. So once you get that thought in your head, it just keeps going round and round and round and round and round. That means that the negative thoughts that we have in our mind are being kicked up like mud under our feet in a lake. Ever walk out in a lake and you feel that mushy stuff under your feet and you look down and go, mud just coming up? See, they muddy our minds and they distort our outlook. And that's why we're admonished in Philippians to think on these things. Look, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think about that for a minute. Just allow that to kind of go through your mind. Again, notice, notice what it says. I mean, it's so important, so awfully important. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, excuse me, I just skipped something. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I mean, what, are there, are there, is there anything negative there? There's, not, there's nothing negative here. Nothing and yet the research shows that 80% of what we think, and some studies show 90%, some say 75%, anywhere from 75 to 90% of our thoughts are negative, as, as, as it seems. Wait a second, we've got problems. That, then that's something that needs to be addressed. It's got to be dealt with. And you know what? There are a number of things that spark negative thoughts and feelings. Whether you're saved or lost, there's things like regrets in the past. Have you ever had any regrets of the past? Those can really bring up a lot of negative thoughts. If only I had. Boy, I wish I would have. Or I should have. Oh, boy, those can bring up some real negative thoughts. A lot of people find themselves thinking that if only they had done something different, then, boy, life would have turned out so much better, right? Well, that leaves you thinking pretty negatively. And then number two, what about the fear of the future? Anybody ever be concerned or fearful of the future? 
I mean, some of the teenagers, as you draw closer to graduation, you start to think a little bit about your future, and for the first time, you're like, well, everybody wants me to know what I'm going to do with my life, and I better start thinking about this, and you start thinking, oh my goodness, man, what in the world's the future hold? I don't have a clue what's going to happen, and man, it's kind of nerve-wracking, it gets a little bit, it can be scary. And even in our lives as adults, let's face it, you know, we think, oh my goodness, I just lost my job, and what's going to happen tomorrow? Wow, the negative thoughts just go piling on, don't they? Piling on. Fear of the future. Fear of the unknown just fuels negative thoughts and feelings. And then there's these unhealthy comparisons that we make, you know? All the time comparing ourselves among one another. Humans have always been prone to comparing ourselves among ourselves. Nowadays, it's even easier, though, right? We've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got all kind of means by which we can see everybody's lives, and everybody's a prince, and everybody's a princess. I learned that at Christmas time with the Hallmark movies. <laughs> I, I've never seen anything like it, all the your princesses and princess things, and I was like, what in the world? I mean, I mean... My princess wedding in West Virginia. I mean, what in the world's going on, right? I mean, how's that happen? They had the wedding in an old abandoned mine. I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand. But, but I mean, everybody's a prince. You know, I mean, but we're comparing ourselves. When you look at social media, everybody's lives are wonderful. They stand there with their spouses and everybody's lovey-dovey. And then after the camera goes off, they're like, you get out of my face right now. But boy, I tell you, for the moment, it sure appears that everything's going great and we just compare ourselves to them. And the truth is, the Bible warns us of all of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend our, themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves. And listen, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not wise. Well, look at her. She's so much prettier than me. Well, you know what you just, negativity. Problem is, is you're going to feed that thought to the point where you start believing that you're an ugly duckling and pretty soon you're shooing away every guy that comes near you because somehow you think you could never love me. Negative, 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 and it's only hurting and harming you. But we're comparing ourselves to one another and that's dangerous. In a world, again, where social media rules, we have to be so careful. See, there are a number of reasons why folks are so negative and in need of encouragement. And I believe today, as believers, we need to make it a mission to encourage people in 2024, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them because, let's face it, we all face difficult times and we all struggle with things in our lives. And sometimes it doesn't matter how spiritual you may be, the weight and the burden of the world and the life we live kind of weighs us down. Boy, we need to be on the lookout for people to encourage. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long and are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's pretty negative, isn't it? But he goes on in verse 37, watch this, nay, nope, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. <laughs> it's not that we don't face tough times. It's that we'll never face them alone and that we're guaranteed the victory. We have so much as believers to be encouraged by. I mean, let's face it, we are loved by God. We're born again or saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're dwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. We're headed to heaven one day. We have his precious word at our disposal. We are empowered by that spirit that lives within us. We have been given a wonderful place to serve and to, to live on behalf of Christ. And we have others around us who hopefully will continue to encourage us as we seek to encourage them in the church. And we have brothers and sisters that are there for us. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be grateful for. To be encouraged by. So... Will you live for Jesus in 2024? Will you love the Lord with all your heart? Will you invite others to Christ in the house of God? Will you visit those in need? Will you encourage others in the Lord? Will you live for Jesus in 2024? Maybe you've never even come to Christ. You say, what do you mean? I, maybe you know about him. You've, you've heard how he, he lived, how he died. You've heard how he rose again even. But there's never been a time in your life when you said, you know what? I've got to understand why he did that. And if you ask that question, you start to dig into the Word and you realize the reason He did that is because, well, every one of us is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, He says. So what, 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 what's going to happen? What price has to be paid? Well, that's what He did. He paid the price for your sin and mine. And on Calvary, He literally died in your stead and He took your place. And what you and I need to do, and, and I've done this, but maybe you need to. Others have done it, but maybe you need to, just like we needed to at some point. You need to look to him and say, you know what? I'm just a sinner. <laughs> and you are so holy and perfect, there's no way you'd want anything to do with me in my present sinful state but I want to thank you for loving me enough to die for me on that cross and pay for my sin. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to come into my life and be my Savior too. Because I'll never get to heaven without you and without what you did for me. Boy, I'll tell you, it's that simple. And then a journey begins. A journey like we started today, like the Apostle Paul, where God will then begin to instruct you in the way you're to go. And then you too 
will have to make up your mind whether you will live for Jesus in 2024. Won't you trust him as your savior if you haven't? And if you have, will you live for him? Father, we come to you. We want to thank you again for just the moments that we had, the short time in the word of God. We pray that you would be glorified and exalted today. And we realize, Lord, that represented in our midst today are people from all walks of life and all experiences of life. None of us have grown up the same or lived the same or have experienced the same things. They might be similar, but we're all uniquely different in one respect or another. And Lord, that difference is wonderful. You love to use us the way we are. Lord, we thank you, though, for the word of God that outlines and does help us all to recognize and understand your expectations for us and your desires. We can please you if we just follow your word and are obedient to it. Now help us to make a decision, a conscious decision to live for you this year. Father, I pray that you'd be with those who have yet to trust and receive you, who have failed to call upon you to this point in their life. May they do so today and not wait one more moment, but trust and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior too, realizing that it's not what they can do to earn his favor. It's what he already did for them on the cross. We'll thank you and praise you, Lord. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head